Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Awesome to see you, and it's great to have the subscribers back on. Apologies that we haven't done one of these in a while, guys. I see you out there in, in San Diego, Mike. You're uh, you're an OG on here, so <laughs> th- thanks for not forgetting about about us. Uh, but man, it's Eric. It's great to get the party started with you. Um, I mean, you don't need an introduction. This Buffalo Bills legend, Pro Bowler. You felt the magnetic pull to Eric in that locker room, man. The stories for day. You and Richie. It was either one of you guys. That's in the media, it was just like, all right, the work's done. Let's just shoot the ball a little bit. I was going to uh, say. I enjoyed the dark side. Yeah, I was going to say, if you wanted if you wanted something inappropriate, you went right next door to Richie's locker. If you wanted something you could write about, come over to my locker. Yeah. Yeah, Richie, he pushed the boundaries a little bit. He did one of these, but we couldn't post it. He asked us not to uh, share it anywhere. Understandably so for those who were on it. But uh, no, oh, man. Well, I guess I can't ask. Well, no, you can ask. Hey, it's uh, well, I mean, hey, you could probably share some of the same stories, like Rex training camp, maybe throwing a few, few too many beers back during the week that, that he shouldn't, and then he got into uh, God, the stuff. I'm trying to remember what he said and what he didn't. He got into the Jonathan Martin stuff like after the fact because we were actually hanging out down in Phoenix. I was there for another story. We were getting dinner. And that's when uh, Jonathan Martin put out the uh, Instagram post, like threatening Richie's life, which was, it was insane. And it was real. I mean, it was like a, Richie, like went through the play-by-play of what went down. He, he left the restaurant right in that moment, took off. And I believe he said like the FBI got involved. He was on lockdown. Everything thankfully was okay. And right. And the that's, of it, that's but, where like, when you see that, all come out afterwards you think maybe Richie wasn't maybe he became the fall guy in Miami 
and they got him pretty good. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't, and, and obviously Richie says some things that he wishes he could take back, but like, that was what, 2010, there wasn't a cancel culture. You could still like bust someone's chops and it was, it was okay. I mean, you got, it's all in context, right? Like in a football locker room, I mean, it's right. You, he said things he should not have said. This doesn't absolve like everything that, I mean, Richie would be the first to say that he is inappropriate and crazy and you know, whatever. But like in the context of a locker room, I mean, things are going to be said that you just would never say out in the real world. I don't know. It's no doubt about like that it. Kind part, of part, of life. The, part of the reason is because you're going to battle with these guys and you get so close that you're comfortable in those situations. But then when you oh, have yeah. someone like Jonathan Martin, yeah. whose parents and his mom, especially is a workplace harassment attorney, he apparently wanted to get out of football. Well, then Richie becomes public enemy number one, which I mean, if you went through, I don't want people to start doing this, but if you went through every O-line group message throughout the league in that year, like when that happened, we were all goofing around like, oh my gosh, if they go through all of our texts, like our wives aren't even going to know us. Like just because it's, it's, and I guess they weren't called memes back then, but it would just be like different pictures or whatever it may be like, oh, so-and-so looks like whoever, you know, they're probably ribbing me about bad sand or something or other. You know, it's like we ripped each other so hard that you could have canceled the Bills offensive line. That you, I'm sure. Exactly. It's like, I mean, what kind of world do we want to live in when we're just sifting through everybody's private life all the time? And like, and I'd love your take on this, like as somebody who kind of, I mean, you know, Tom Brady and, you know, and, you know, Richie, like when all the Washington email stuff kind of went down, I'm thinking like, okay, well, we got full reports, like the full investigation, all, everything that was found became public to everybody, but not this, like this, this, this doesn't because they're, they're protecting people. Like it's selective. Yeah. I mean, to me, it seemed like just a pure, I heard it said like this, this isn't my original language, but a public assassination of Gruden. Like they, someone in the league office or someone that was intertwined in that trial decided we are going to take out John Gruden because you want to tell me that you went through everybody's emails and text messages and it was only Gruden. It was only him. But now, and as soon as they take out Gruden, then it becomes this literal act of Congress that now none of the other information from the case can be revealed. It's unbelievable. 600,000 emails, and he's the only one that uh, that was problematic. Exactly. So sounds reasonable. That's, that's the NFL, though, right? I mean, they operate above the law, above what we would consider normal, and they're just going to win. They always win. So, man. Well, anyways, Eric, just the way we kind of do these is we, we just shoot the bull and let people uh, ask you whatever they want to ask if that's cool so, but what what do you what are you up to these days like how's well, I was life? Just gonna say, so this is a just like an open zoom oh yeah yep it's just kind of a free-for-all i don't really uh i don't really have many rules <laughs> it's just everybody is pretty cordial and you know i want to say you know we had alan robinson on one and there were a lot of people in there and at that point we kind of had to have a little uh I don't know, raising of hands and whatnot, but for the most part, you know, everybody can just fire away and drink some beers. You got, do you have something there? I know you were kind of contemplating between one or the other. 
Who, me? Mm-hmm. As far as what? Like, what What direction we're going? No, I, you, you said you, you were telling me you were thinking between beer or tequila or something when we were texting? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went, um, little tequila action. We got an ugly Christmas sweater party tonight. Probably drink a bunch of beer there, so I figured What I'd kind of tequila? Drink. Little Casamigos? No, I was going to mix it, so I did uh, just Patron and soda and lime. I mean, my number one tequila, so I, I saw the question about bourbon, so I'm in bourbon country. I got probably, I don't know, a thousand bottles of bourbon in my basement here. Um, hopefully no one has my address because what bourbon's <laughs> worth nowadays. But um, anyways, I've gotten on a tequila kick. And for me, it, you don't feel as bad the next day. It's a cleaner buzz. But like my number one is Clase Azul, which now you can't find that anywhere. All right, guys, you guys can come here and say hi. So this is Grace. Hi. No, Daddy's working, so we can't. Garrett, come say hi. All right. Uh, if you guys follow me on social media, you've seen this dude. But this is my mini me. I love it. Garrett, who's your who's your favorite football player? Josh Allen. Do you hear that? There it is. I love Josh it. Josh Allen. Are we gonna see him sometime soon? Hope so. Are we going to beat the Patriots? Heck yeah, we don't lose to the Patriots anymore, do we? No. No. All right. <laughs> what does this do? This is the microphone. Yeah. All right. You guys go upstairs, okay? All right. Well, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so I've gotten on a big tequila kick lately, but now, like, you can't find Clase Azul anywhere. You can't find Don Julio 1942. Like, all the good tequilas now are all getting bought up, just like many of the bourbons and whatnot. I can't believe how much bourbon's going for. Like I was telling you, it was with Wyatt Teller last week, and he doesn't have as much as you, but he had one uh, Pappy, uh, like a 12-year reserve, 1600 bucks for like a thin bottle. Unbelievable. Okay. I, I I did, me and Richie split a barrel of Blanton's, and so I got maybe 120-some of those. We ended up paying 58 bucks a piece for them when we did it. At my charity event in Buffalo, I auctioned off two of them, so you got both of them. I think it went for three grand. I mean, it's nuts. It's insane. But like anything, if you can't get it, it's worth what anybody will pay for it. So, um, and then those are rare because they have like the sticker has me and Richie's face on it. So it's a little different. But even then, I'm like, I mean, I feel bad, but here you go. It's all go all the money's going to a good place. It's true. Exactly. So uh, yeah, what's what's your feeling on um on this weekend, Eric? I mean, everybody in Buffalo here, they're pretty worried. It's kind of uh, I don't know, not not quite gloom and doom, but I think uh, a lot of fans are wondering um, like are the are, are the Patriots really really done? Because yeah, it, I mean, it sure looks like they're just recharging, reloading, and they're going to dominate for another two decades. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was ready for the Patriots to be down for at least a few years. Like, how do we let Mac Jones fall to them at 16 and give them like their Brady replacement. Perfect to fit into that uh, Josh McDaniels offense. But regardless, I understand that everyone in Buffalo is maybe anxious about the game, but, but to be worried, like Buffalo is a favorite here. We got maybe the best roster in the league. And I understand that the last four games haven't been perfect. But that's, that's mainly been turnovers. Turnovers is something that you can control yourselves. It's not like 
And I understand Indy ran the ball down their throats, but they were able to run the ball down their throats because the Bills had three first-half possessions, and one of them was a two-minute drill because of a fumbled kickoff return and an interception by Josh Allen, and you're out star, and you're out Tremaine in that game. Like, all those things considered, yes, you got the ball ran down your throat, but it was kind of the perfect storm. Going back and looking at some of that film, there was excellent play calls that hit Bill's blitzes perfectly, and they were not checked. Like, I'm not giving Carson Wentz credit for those. Those were fortunately timed calls that just ended up working out perfect. All that being said, I'm not I'm not worried about Monday night. It's a huge game, especially when you consider that you know, you got two games against New England that probably decide the division, and this is our one at home, so you need to get this one. But that being said, um, like, when you get those anxious feelings, like, that's what makes sports fun. Like, if you knew the Bills were going to go out and roll every single week, that's not fun. I was I was having a conversation with Terry Pagula before, I think it was the Jets game, because we just dropped the Jacksonville game. And he said, you know, I'm just a little bit nervous about this one. I said, Terry, that's what makes sports fun, bud, you know. <laughs> That's that's what makes it fun, and so uh, it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Uh, should be a it's looking like a wintry mix for game time, so it'll be a ton of fun. Wintry mix, but I feel like this team. I mean, that's kind of like the debate now with the new stadium. They're almost kind of built best for a dome, right? Like, is that does that really help? I, maybe we're overthinking it here, but I feel like if it's windy and it's snowy, and they're already calling for like hellacious conditions kind of plays into the hands of the team that wants to run and play defense and has, you know, Mac Jones kind of caretaking things. No, you're, you're exactly right. You know, the way we're built right now, it seems like the windy games affect our downfield throwing, which allow those safeties to, even though they're in a two shell to creep up because the deep ball so hard to throw when that wind's whipping in the stadium. And it's almost like when you get on a golf course and you like, throw the leaves up and you're, or throw some grass up and you're like, wait, which way is it going now? I feel like it's swirling. That's the Bill Stadium. Like the entire time you're out there, you're like, I know the flags are whipping that way, but it sure feels like it's kind of blowing this way. And so it can be tough to judge. But, you know, looking at the matchup, I mean, the Patriots have a good run game and they don't get run production from the quarterback. Now they will get the receivers involved on some jet sweeps and whatnot. But what do they average? Four? 4.1 yards per carry on the season. Like, that's not a daunting number. What they've done lately is, though, they've just, you know, Mac Jones doesn't throw a lot of incompletions. And they've just kept the, kept the chains moving. And then they, they've been forcing an astronomical amount of turnovers. They force um, turnovers per possession the most in the league. So you hold on to the football against them. You make them try to start making some plays. You get up on them early. I think it's a game that the Bills could smoke them. Now, you fall behind, let them play clock control, and you don't make the plays offensively, you turn the ball over, that could be a different story. But, you know, I'll I'll roll with Vegas on this one. I think the Bills are going to get them. I think the Bills have more experienced playmakers, you know, and, and, you know, for the longest time, the Patriots had all the guys that were part of this winning culture. Well, the coaching staff for the Patriots has been a part of it forever but not a lot of the guys at key positions for them. Man, those are great points all around. I know, uh, and also, it, obviously, everybody can just kind of shout out whenever, but there, if you want to raise your hand in the on the side there, too. I forgot we got that. Joe's got his hand up. What's happening, Joe? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, Eric, how you doing today? 
What's up, dude? Hey, not much. Question. You you may have alluded to this on a podcast with Tyler, and I was a little bit confused, so maybe if you want to air this out. What happened in your retirement speech? Like, I'm still confused to this day, like, why you couldn't say you retired and all that stuff. Like, what happened with that? And is there, like, a little bit of a disappointment for you that you never got, like, that retirement? Like, you can thank Fitz, you can thank Stevie Johnson or your family? Because that was, like, the weirdest thing. I remember watching that on, like, at work, and I'm like, what is going it was like i can't talk goodbye i'm like you know what what happened with that like behind the scenes like on that day and uh you know and if you you wish you could still have that i mean maybe, maybe you could have it you should do a zoom like retirement press conference and we get there we go we get everyone Perfect. we get, get fits <laughs> on here we get tied to ask you questions and it's a retirement zoom but like anyways yeah what happened that day that, that's not a bad idea and if this was still COVID times i'd be down for that but um, I'm ready for in-person gathering. So let's do like a party at a bar or rent something yes. out. But no, I, I'm with you. I, I mean, one of the disappointments of my career is that I truly never got to kind of celebrate it at the end because for five months, I couldn't say I was retiring because then I'm no longer injury disqualified, which would have affected a lot of money. And, you know, I signed a contract extension before the season. I would have lost out on all my guaranteed money, all my injury guarantee if I was retiring. But I was physically disqualified. At the very last second, the NFLPA got very concerned that anything I said that the Bills could use that against me, which I have a great relationship with the Bills and still do. I did then and I still do to this day. But their biggest, the NFLPA's biggest concern, which, and I understand completely, because it truly is a business that if I said anything that like, thank yous, well, that's sounds a lot like you're retiring. Um, if I would have accidentally said retirement, if I would have said, you know, I'll no longer be with this organization, whatever I would have said could have been used against me. So they basically scripted up something that I could say just because this press conference was there. And honestly, if kids that, our foundation had worked with in the past, if kids hadn't taken off school and come out there for this, and if family and friends didn't fly in from all over the country, I probably would have just canceled it. But I felt so bad. I felt like maybe we should just give them something. Looking back, we should all just went to the big tree, let the kids come in too, and just had a good time in there. But at the time, it felt right to do it. And, you know, it was, it was very unfortunate. It was extremely disappointing for me, though, because, you know, not that I had anything in my notes to say that I'm retiring, there was a lot of thank yous though. And so for me, and it's kind of a running joke in our household too, like when my wife's actually going to throw me a retirement party, but it is what it is. Can I ask why couldn't the bills, and again, I'm not a, a lawyer or anything. Why couldn't they just send you like send the players association, something that said like, Hey, we, he can, he can, he will avoid that out of the contract so he can say this. Like, why didn't they do that? And also, did you did they ever approach you? Because this was 2018, right? That's when you retired. Yeah, did early think, 2018. Yeah, did you think, did you at all think about asking them, hey, can we do this six months later? Like, we do a real one. Like, you yeah. know, I mean, whatever. Like, I mean, Fitz, Fitz has money. He can fly out again, you know, or, or something like that. Like, did you, like, why didn't they do that? And did you think about, like, hey, let's just do this for real this time six months from now? 
No, and maybe I should have. I, I Sometimes I don't have a lot of nerve in those situations to ask, and since they didn't offer, I didn't bring it up. But um, that's a great question, Joe, honestly, um, about why the Bills didn't do anything. And the main reason, and I've, I've never been asked this before, and I've been asked a lot of questions about it, so congrats. That That's a great question. And basically, the NFLPA did try to get them to sign something. The Pagoulas were not in town, and Brandon Bean was like, look, it's not my money. Like I can't lawyer here. Like I am not able, like this press conference, we're already late and I'm not like the one that can make the decision to sign something like that. Like we would need Overdorf, the contract guy. We would need the Pagoulas. We would need, um, I think Russ Brandon was still with the team. Um, himself. Like he's like, that's, that's not practical in this moment, but that's, that's an awesome question. It's such a great question. Cause it's like, I would think that's an easy signature for Terry Pagula to sign. Like it, it's like the, the, it shouldn't even be a debate. It shouldn't be a discussion. Like if, if they were to ever try to jip you out of that money, I mean, the uproar there, there'd be people at the stadium and pitchforks. It just, and, and yeah. it, it, it was so cringy. It put you in a terrible spot. It put the team in a weird spot. And you never had that moment to celebrate your career, your life. Like, I feel like there's celebrations for everybody in every sport, every level now. And you're a dude who spent a decade losing in Buffalo, going through all the, the brutal, brutal years. You bust through. You're a big reason that the team finally busted through. And you don't get that moment. I think everybody was kind of feeling for you in the city. I know. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate those words, too. I always think, like, maybe if one day I could make the ring of honor, like, that would you know, we could do something like that. I, I, I did make it into University of Louisville's Hall of Fame right here. There's that guy. And um, nice. And by when, when I went in their Hall of Fame, now there wasn't people from all over the country like there was for that or like there would be if it was a true retirement deal. But um, I did get to say some thank yous and whatnot there, which was which was special. Yeah, that seems like a good compromise. Yeah, just put my name up there. We'll, we'll, no, no hard feelings. I got to think that happens then. <laughs> I know. And, and like, I would have played football for as long as I could have. And so who knows where my career would have ended up. I'm not saying I would have been a Hall of Famer. But for me, yeah. probably like the pinnacle at this point would be Ring of Honor. I'm, I'm trying to think of what else there would be beyond that, like as far as athletic achievement. Probably the Ring of Honor in Buffalo. We'll see how that all shakes out one day. Start the campaign, Tyler. Well, we, we got to have the uh, retirement party. I like that. Maybe we do it at HBC. Get Monus involved, and hey, we could we could do it. Yeah, where's Monus? I thought he was gonna be on here. I know it. Yeah, he uh, he's traveling. I think he's going to see family or something this weekend. So we'll we'll give him hell. We'll make him feel guilty. Nice. For sure. But uh, but yeah, if anybody uh has any questions, just let it rip. Is Monos gonna be? Is Monos going to the XFL with Whaley and Russ? I'm not at liberty to answer these questions at this time. So, okay. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I honestly don't know, but I think there's probably some dots to connect there, right? Like, they were like, I got a question for you, for a while. Eric. Yeah. I got a question for you, Eric. How you doing? Yeah. Good. How you doing, Roger? Good. Uh, I like that uh, picture of Ali over your shoulder there. I oh, appreciate it. Louisville yeah, guy. I got a, I got a great one of him, and Bob Dylan, uh, in the 70s mm-hmm. backstage at Madison Square Garden, kind of chopping wow. it up together. So that's a that's pride possession by the TV. Um, let me ask you this, and I'm not going to call it a renaissance, but what is, what is your uh, 
take on the resurgence of the running game in the league. It, I know the Eagles are doing it. The Patriots um, are really uh, committed to that. The 49ers, I mean, I know it's kind of in Kyle Shanahan's DNA, but he's coming up with some crazy stuff. Like Debo Samuel is a, like a, a far tailback and then running, you know, down the sidelines. And, but, and, and it seems to be something that the Bills aren't built for to stop. And with the Patriots, that play last week, I think it was a jet sweep to Kendrick Bourne, or maybe it was a short pass, but um, they're just a massively uh, very, very good at assignment football, and especially blocking downfield in the second level, and even the third level in that play. Um, what do you think about the trend here? Because it seems like defenses like the Bills uh, have gone a little bit lighter and faster to deal with like Kansas City and teams like that, and it seems like uh, a lot of teams around the league said, okay, we're going to beef up up front until you prove that you have the beef and you can fill the gaps to stop us. We're going to keep doing it. Um, you see this trend like I do, or what do you think? Yeah, and, and to me, and that's a great question. To me, everything's cyclical. So, um, like early in my career, the Patriots were obviously, they were, they were the most consistent franchise in the league. Well, the hardest thing to stop about them was their dual tight end sets with Hernandez and Gronk. So uh, teams drafted athletic linebackers, bigger safeties, guys that could cover those guys. You often had to play them in nickel personnel. So you maybe needed a bigger nickel player. You added a safety, whatever it may be. You built your team to stop the Patriots, especially if you're in the AFC, because that's who you had to beat to get to the Super Bowl. Well, the last three years, AFC championship game, Kansas City Chiefs. And to stop the Kansas City Chiefs, you need more speed on your defense. You've got to be able to rush the passer. You've got to be able to play man coverage on the outside. And so everyone got a little bit smaller. Everyone started playing nickel. And a lot of these high-powered offenses, shoot, a few years ago, the Patriots were a pretty high-powered offense. But so everyone got lighter to stop those. And then you see uh, Derrick Henry at 250 pounds, and he can run over your defense. And I think everything comes in waves in this league. You also just – you know, I, I think if some of those teams like Tennessee, they drafted Derrick Henry and then said, well, shoot, let's get really physical. And that, that models the uh, kind of temperament of their head coach as well. But for the most part, you're playing to A, your personnel that you have and who's healthy, and then B, offensively that is, and then B, you're trying to catch whoever's at the top. Like this Bill's defense is built – to beat Kansas City and they beat them earlier this year now you might have some trouble start stopping the run if you're really never going to play base defense which I think if you go back to that indie game and Tremaine Edmonds is healthy then maybe you put AJ Klein on the on the field and get three linebackers on the field with Tremaine Edmonds out I don't know that you put Dotson uh, Smith or any of those guys in the game in that situation all that being said it's a great question Everything kind of goes cyclical in this league. If the Patriots, Titans, if it's a if it's a Patriots, Titans, AFC Championship game, God forbid, it would drive me nuts. But the the Vrabel Belichick storylines would just be too much for me to even handle. But then you'll likely see teams start to get a little bit bigger again. It is and how does a team structurally through the draft and free agency? Uh, create kind of a hybrid kind of team that can adjust uh, and be a little bit ahead of the curve because now we're going to the more run oriented where a lot of these teams are giving them trouble. 
um, you're committed to lighter and faster for the Kansas City offense and others like it. Um, that's one thing that impresses me about Belichick. It really does, and it always has, is he gets a lot of versatile guys. They can do a lot of different things. He does, they do. They can do what he asks them to do. Um, how do you stay ahead of this as the organization? Like you said, it's cyclical. Uh, it could be two years from now we're talking about, uh, you know, everyone's throwing 50 times a game. Um, as an organization, I mean, how hard is it even possible to do that? Yeah, I think it's possible, and that's that's another great question. I think I definitely think it's possible, and I'd like to hear Tyler uh, weigh in on this as well, but I definitely think it's possible. Now, the longer you have a coach and a system in place and you're drafting players to your system – and you get everybody that's kind of learning under the same umbrella, I think you can then build a team that's kind of a hybrid. If you're mixing back and forth between a 3-4 and a 4-3 and a Jim Swartz wide nine rush the edge and then back to a Pet and a Rex, whatever it may be, like I think it's very hard to build a hybrid defense because you're not drafting under that same coaching staff the entire time. I think the Bills are honestly pretty close. They're not far off. Now, when you have a 285, 90-pound defensive tackle in Ed Oliver, who's actually playing really well, he doesn't add a whole lot of size up there. When you're out your nose guard, Starla Tulele, and you only have one of those guys who's like truly physically imposing. Like I said this recently on One Bills Live, but if I was looking at the Bills' defense, and I understand I played center, so I kind of look inside out, but if I'm looking at the Bills' defense, the two most physically imposing players on that defense are Starla Tule and Tremaine Edmonds. They're both out in the indie game. Like, those are your two guys that, because Star can actually rush the passer pretty well as, as well. And so, those are your two guys who, you know, Tremaine 6'5, 250. Star 6'4, he's listed at like 305. Nuh uh. I've stood next to him. That dude's bigger than 305, I'm telling you. And uh, that's like Will Fork when he was always listed at 325. I blocked him. He wasn't 325 pounds. That being said, I think the Bills are pretty close. You know, I think if Vernon Butler was more of a playmaker at his size, then you could put Star and Butler on the field. And that's why you brought him in at 330 pounds because you thought, okay, at times we could put those two D tackles in there. But when you miss in free agency on a Butler, that really hurts you. And I, I say that, and I've kind of – piggybacking what Leslie Frazier said about Butler a couple weeks ago, and he was inactive the last game. And you got guys that are close on the edge, but I think, you know, Rousseau's got to get a little bit more meat on his frame to where you got guys that can both defend the pass and the run. No, I think you're right, Eric. I mean, it's hard to even blame Buffalo. And I know I've been pretty critical of like the way they're built, but I, I do get it. You know, it kind of even started two, three years ago, when they, you know, they trade Wyatt Teller, who we just talked to for a story, where it's like, all right, you think that the game is going to backyard football, improvisational quarterbacks, all the second reaction stuff. I mean, you watch Mahomes and Allen and Kyler Murray and what all these guys are doing. Like, that's the direction. You want to go lighter, faster, more athletic. But uh, I guess that's why that's why the NFL is king. It's like there's smart offensive minds that are like, all right, fuck it. We're just going to unleash – a 250 pound running back and run it down your throat. And there, there are a handful of teams that like you look at what new England did now last spring. And it's like Belichick saw this coming before everybody else. Like, Oh, I'll just get by on a rookie contract at quarterback. And I'll just go sign all these dogs all over the place and win that way. So 
I we'll see who's in the AFC championship game. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me still if like if Josh Allen goes out there Monday, regardless of the weather and and goes nuts, like like yeah. Mahomes is kind of doing too. But I, I think there is something to it. Like I I don't know if the Bills are really built inside out to like go into that back alley brawl with the Patriots or the Titans when they're at full strength, those kind of teams. Right. And, and, and I think you're spot on. I think, and go all the way back, Roger. And one, I got to ask you, were you drinking water out of that Mason jar or moonshine? Cause that was a heck of a chug. <laughs> water. I got to drive uh, the wife and her friend around. They, she drove me and my buddy, the, the Miami game. And she hung out and drank water and coffee. Well, <laughs> We didn't put it that gotcha. way. So I'm returning. I was going to say that tonight. was a heck of a swig. And where I'm from, generally out of a mason jar, something clear, and it's not water. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. I'll, I'll say this, though a good defensive line and a couple good corners is probably about as hybrid as you can get as far as being under the salary cap. You know, you look at. New England, Pittsburgh, like teams that are consistent over the years. It's like, do you have guys that can rush the passer and are disruptive? And then do you got a couple guys that could cover on the outside? Then you could probably be that hybrid. Well, then mind, Eric, do you think that the Bills D line is, you know, up to that challenge? Because I look at that, the D line, and I, I think that's, if anything, I'm critical of Brandon Bean. It's how he's handled the defensive line. He's put a lot of assets and it's just kind of, it, eh, okay. They're just kind of okay. And for all the assets that they've spent on it, you know, I think that's his black mark maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easier said than done, but, yeah. and those guys get really expensive, especially if you bring them in a free agency. But like, in my mind, give me one Aaron Donald as opposed to eight, pretty good players like when I look across the Bills defensive line I think that there's a lot of good football players yeah. a lot of good ones and there's not one that you have to truly game plan around Ed Oliver's actually getting pretty close I think he makes some bonehead plays that time and I don't know that his awareness is grace great like I want Ed to get away from like when you see the quarterback throw like dive out of the way like quit getting roughing the passer penalties. But I think Ed's actually getting pretty close to a guy that you game plan around. But other than that, there's nobody on the Bills D line where you're like, okay, if it's third and 10 and they're definitely not blitzing, okay, we have to slide the line to TJ Watt, Aaron Donald, you name them. Like the Bills don't have that guy. Now there's plenty of teams that don't. I think the Bills... What they do have is they have eight guys and they could roll them in and they stay fresh and maybe through really nine guys. But when you, over the course of a season, including the playoffs, maybe that pays off for them because they have so many quality players. But I I, I do think it hurts them at times that there's just not one stud up there. Yeah. That's where it might've been smart, you know, in free agency, just because they haven't, drafted I mean they've drafted okay on the D line but there's some questionable picks in there like just say are right, we know that this dude is is going to get 12 to 15 sacks let's just pay for him because there were a lot of pass rushers they could have gotten I don't know it's all hindsight but you're right there isn't that one player that really strikes a lot of a lot of fear in you and they've got a lot of money and they've got a lot of high picks so they're gonna need somebody to bust out I, I anytime I hear Ed Oliver I just think of him I don't know what 
it was what heartbreaking playoff loss it was. I don't know if it was Houston or Kansas City when the plane landed and he sticks his head out of the window and he's like a triumphant hero returns home. I'm like, I get it. It's got to be nice to see the fans, but he's he's pretty happy a day after this excruciating loss. Come on, Ed. What's going on here? Right. I, I hear you. And and that would rub me pretty raw too. And And I don't know him personally, but – just for a young guy, I think it probably hurts him that he never got to like truly play with a Kyle Williams. I don't know what type of guy star is, but he, you know, he hasn't been a captain since he's been in Buffalo. Maybe he's not like that guy to like really push Ed along. But yeah, to me, when you like our one top ten draft pick along that defensive line is Ed. Like that's got to be the guy that teams have to game plan around. Hey, Eric. Uh- Question about the offensive line. Cordy Ford seems like he's just been really struggling like the last couple of years. I just wanted to know, and I, this is just my theory and it could be completely wrong. And maybe you can add to this switching him from tackle where I felt in college, that's where he made his, like his bones. That's where he, why he got drafted to guard might've been a mistake. And I don't know if you, and I know you, you came in the league, you were a guard. They had you at guard for a couple of years then they moved to center. Like, do you at all feel that's that could be a situation for why he's been struggling is for the switch? And maybe if your own experience, like, do you like, like, how was that switch for you? And that couldn't that be a difficult transition to make, you know, from a guy going from tackle to guard? It's definitely tough. I think it's easier going from outside in than it is inside out. I had this conversation with Jeff Saturday It'll post this upcoming Wednesday. He was on my podcast. But we had that conversation because he played guard early in his career. It's harder for centers to go out than it is for tackles to come into guard. It's if, if you if you kind of have that anchor in you and then you move in, generally you have faster feet at tackle. It, everything kind of just – you get them in a phone booth, it feels easier in pass protection. That being said, I, I think some of Cody Ford's issues are – or one of his biggest is this year is he seems slow footed. Like he's not reacting well. And look, the bills offense at times is not very O-line friendly and that's fine. Like you have great weapons on the outside. You play to the strength of your talent. We talked about it earlier with defense offensively. If you're the bills, like, yes, you want to be effective in the run game and keep teams honest, but between your four receivers and Dawson Knox and Josh Allen, like spread the ball out. But when the team, when teams know you're you're passing the ball, it becomes that's a tough assignment in the NFL. And Cody Ford's been exposed because he's not a great pass protector. He's more of a road grader, and I, you know, it just it just hasn't worked well. Now he is coming off of a knee injury last year. I could tell you that even when you're on the field coming off a of surgery and a serious knee injury, sometimes you're not always 100% out there, even if he's not on the injury report. So. I don't know if this is the end of the road for Cody Ford in Buffalo. It sure seems like it. But, you know, Cody Ford's quality depth right now, and he's on a rookie contract. There's a lot of teams in this league that wish they had Cody Ford backing up their guard spots. Second-round pick, though, you know? I mean, that would be a pretty big miss. You're you're expecting more. And they traded up for him. That's right. I forgot about that. I announced the pick. Did you really? You announced yeah, that down one. In, down in Nashville. So we, we got to blame you. I mean, you were like the last line of defense. So. No, I could have called it off. No, and, and honestly, <laughs> I mean, O-linemen are tough to project nowadays. Coming out yeah. of college because the offenses don't look all that similar. 
defensive linemen aren't that good. Guys are coming out younger and younger. It's just, it's a lot tougher. Wyatt Teller was saying that even like weight training has changed. Like he was uh, at Virginia Tech and had kind of an old school strength coach. So they're throwing around heavy weights, you know, power lifts. But he had heard kind of like looking around the landscape with all these spread offenses, like even the way they're sculpting and building offensive line, it's more for speed in that kind of game. So it's, I don't know, again, it kind of creates that op- opening for a team to punch you in the mouth and, and play that kind of, that kind of, kind of way. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this. We, I've seen some guys come in from big schools and you can tell that they don't train that hard in the weight room anymore. Is your that right? Ohio State, your Clemson's like those guys are big time recruits and they don't want to be bossed around. They might not work that hard in the weight room. And then they come to the NFL and the bills strength staff like we still push some weight and you know Siano came from Georgia Tech he's still there with the Bills he does a great job and he pushes you pretty hard which the Bills have been great from an injury standpoint you know and and I think he does a good job and so some of those guys are in for a little culture shock when they get to the NFL and it's even harder than they were in college because oftentimes you think it'd be the opposite like oh when you're young they trained you real hard get you the league and then it's kind of just staying where you're at some of those guys are in for a wake-up call eric i got a question about um locker rooms uh you've obviously been in a bunch of them has there ever been a moment where you felt like a coach lost the locker room in your career like in terms and like how does that happen like because you always hear it like uh, like media people will talk about fans like oh he lost the locker room like how has that happened to you while as a bill, whether it was Vic Geron or it could have been an assistant coach. I don't know. But like, were there moments you felt like, yeah, like this dude lost the locker room and it's a disaster or, or anything like that? No, not necessarily. And that's a great question. Um, not necessarily. We probably didn't give coaches long enough uh, to stick around for them to lose the locker room. Truly. You know what I mean? Where we were like, why do we keep this guy? The bills cut ties pretty quick while I was there. I had, now two were interims, but I had seven head coaches in nine years. And so um, none of them truly lost the locker room. Now, not everybody was a crowd favorite. And I'll say probably Marone because he kind of came from that Coughlin tree. But that doesn't mean he lost the locker room. He just he was more get under your skin a little bit, call you out. Everybody else was kind of a, hey, we're all pros. We're all in this together. You call me by my first name. Like, we're all men here. Like, we're going to treat each other like men. And now there's accountability and, you know, like Sean McDermott's not going to dog cuss you like he, like a college coach might, or your high school coach. Heck, it looks like we're all about of similar generation here. I'm sure we've all been cussed out by a coach in our life that nowadays would be a Twitter sensation, but um, (laughs) like most coaches in the NFL are like, hey, we're pros. So I was talking to Sean McDermott. Like, Sean McDermott is great with accountability, but he enforces accountability based upon playing time. You look at Isaiah McKenzie, Vernon Butler, Zach Moss, all healthy scratches for the last game. Like, that's how Sean McDermott gets his message across. They get their message across because they they might bring more guys, definitely more than any other staff I've been around, bringing guys in for workouts where they come and get changed in your locker room on Tuesdays and you see the guys that are – trying out for your job like there's a lot of accountability there and really oh yeah i mean a lot of guys and on those that's that's the reality of the 
of the league. There's always someone ready to take your spot if, if you're not stepping up. So, you know, when I was in college, honestly, we went from Bobby Petrino to Steve Craigthorpe, and everyone loved Craigthorpe at first because he was so cool. And then we sucked, and everyone's like, well, maybe this dude – Maybe maybe it was more fun when Bobby Petrino was here and we were getting cussed out every day and practices were grueling because we actually won. Like, maybe that's what we needed. And so that was probably as close as I've seen someone lose a locker room. Uh, just a question to, to dovetail on uh, uh, the previous question there. What would you say, now you've been in the media for a few years now, but uh, when in your playing days, what is the percentage of accuracy that the media had describing a team's psychological state like they said oh well they you know the the coach has lost the team or this team doesn't seem confident did you guys used to sit there and if, and if you did listen to this just laugh at each other and like they don't know what the hell they're talking about or were you saying like wow that's kind of close uh what would you say the percentage would be mm, i'm trying to think back to a specific time but i would say generally where there's smoke there's fire and, and Ty knows this, like a lot of really high media members generally have players on the inside or they have assistant GMs that want you to put them on their top 10 GM candidates at the end of the year. So they'll give you the real scoop and um, maybe it's dramatized a little bit, but generally there's some validity there. I'm trying to think back. I mean, honestly, we we weren't that good throughout my time with the Bills, so there wasn't like that much to report on. If that makes, I thought, you know I, mean? I thought, I thought during the Rex years, that's when there was a lot of drama. 2015 yeah, like, was crazy. Like Ty's got a lot. Like he's got a notebook full of stuff. I remember he wrote about like there's just be like some infighting and like you know not infighting. That's kind of over dramatic, but I kind of remember that being like where players and coaches like they were like leaked, like stuff was getting out, like this coach, like Greg Roman. Like the whole thing with Greg Roman, like he got fired, and I remember that happening. I was like, I didn't understand that at all. I mean, you were there. What actually, yeah, yeah we, what happened with Greg Roman? Like he got canned after they scored like 30 points. I know, I know. And that was that's one time that but like Rex was so great, and he's a I mean, Rex could sell if Rex wasn't in, in football and media, Rex could be the best salesman in the country. I mean, he's like if Rex hopped on this Zoom right now, like me included, put myself on mute and just listen to Rex. I mean, he's got that gift. So he can kind of sell anything. I think there was some, I mean, that, him and Greg were going to butt heads. That wasn't, that Greg wasn't Rex's hire. That was the, that was the Pagula's and management's hire. Like they said, Rex, we want to bring you in, but we want Greg Roman as our OC. So we're going to make this work. Anthony Lynn was Rex's guy. So like, as much as maybe we didn't agree with it, it wasn't like we didn't see where he was coming from. Like, hey, we're 0-2. Like, at least let me lose with my guys if I can make the decision here. And when you promote Anthony Lynn, it wasn't like we didn't have – like, A. Lynn is a great leader, a great coach. So we had him on staff. So it made it a little bit better. Man, that was a fun year, though. I mean, maybe not as a player because – it's, it starts with that Colts win. I mean, remember Guinness Book of World Records? They came to that Patriots game. It was like the expectations were through the roof. And with, I mean, Rex was just great to cover because it was like he let you guys be yourselves. 
so there was no just vague cliche. It, it just wasn't a bunch of dribble and there was open locker room, which was nice too. But the, the highs were really high and the lows were really low. It felt like every week, like even at the press conference, you could see on Rex's face, like he could be like just ready to run through a wall or he would just be depressed. And you can see why the pendulum swung back to McDermott, who's just going to stay right there week to week. And, and yeah, but it was kind of needed. I don't know. Yeah. And if you're looking at it from the Bills perspective, like, okay, we got to sell tickets. I'll never forget. We had the longest playoff drought in all of professional sports that we were playing in. And we set a season ticket holder record in the same stadium that the early nineties bills played in, in the same stadium with more expensive seats. Like that's what a Rex Ryan effect can do and bring in free agents. And you know, you got Russ Brandon who could sell ketchup popsicles. You know, it's like he, you know, you, they, they could build it all up and they did a good job of it. I'll say this about that week two game against uh, new England. Um, and I remember, and it was great for the media and the national media, local media as well. Uh, you know, and he's saying, they all, you know, we're not afraid of the Patriots. Uh, some teams are down 7 nothing when the bus shows up with the Patriots in them. I just remember him talking and talking. I'm like, okay, this is all well and good. And I'm like, but this is really not the team to talk about. Uh, when you act, it's great to sell tickets, but getting on the field. I'll never forget, I think it was Brady on Wednesday or his media availability day. And they asked him about it. I just remember him. Looking at the reporter, going, "Yeah, yeah, we know where Orchard Park is. We'll be there on Sunday." And I looked at my wife and said, "Uh oh, this is yeah. not going to turn out well." I'll say this. I'll say this, and and I'm with you, and I see your point 100%, Roger. But Rex was trying to instill a confidence in a team that didn't have any confidence, and came from Marone and Gailey and Jerron that weren't inspiring, and and. So Rex was trying to like basically instill confidence in a group that didn't yet know how to win. And I'll say this, if anything, we were just way too charged up for that game. Like we had three personal fouls in the first quarter. Like Rex was basic. Rex basically had us like, we are going to take over the division now and we're going to do it with physicality. And we're going to like literally beat the crap out of these guys. And like, I think some dudes like Aaron, I mean, and I'm buddies with Aaron, and I'm not saying this behind his back, but, like, I think Aaron Williams, like, could not handle that. Like, he was ready to kill somebody that day. Like, we had a bunch of guys that were, like, literally out there for blood. And, like, I was charged up, too. Like, I'm trying to, like, finish someone on every single play. We were just, like, we didn't have our minds right. So, basically, through my podcast, I brought – on a bunch of like personal development guys or performance coaches in sports. Cause I'm fascinated by like the mind and sports and all this. Like I had Michael Gervais come on my podcast and he said that athletes um, operate perfectly in like a five to seven intensity level, depending on who you are, because anything higher than that, you can't function properly. Anything lower than that. And you're not in the moment enough. We were like all redlining, which was a really bad recipe to where you're not making great decisions out there. Yeah, you know, that's funny. Uh, it, it reminds me, I think it was Super Bowl 23, I think, with the 49ers and the Bengals. And uh, the great Tim Crumry, who, was, uh, who wound up, I think, coaching with the Bills for a while um, as defensive line, he snapped his leg in the first quarter, and he blames the adrenaline he had uh, going into that game. And he said it was so over the top that so, now somehow he, he'll explain it better than I can. Somehow that contributed to his broken leg. So it's interesting you say that. Yeah, that is. It, 
Uh, all right, I got time for probably one more. Awesome, Eric. Thank, thanks for doing this too, man. We appreciate it. It's, I mean, that, that's such a great point too on the adrenaline. I've heard that too. Like even these UFC, you know, MMA guys, they are like at a four or a five. They're so calm where you think right. they'd be at tens. But, um, but yeah, I, I won't monopolize this. If anybody else has a question. Yeah, I'll away. tell you one real quick. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I was, I was wondering, what's it like to eat like an old lineman in the NFL? Like where you're just pounding food all the time and like how many chicken wings could you eat at a time or how many beers could you drink back in your prime of doing it? It's <laughs> a great question. Uh, chicken wings, I think the most I ever ate in a, uh, like one sitting was 50 at Hooters in college. And I mean, <laughs> just felt miserable. But I was generally like a – like a 10 and 10 guy, like get like 20 wings and some fries or whatever else. And then like 10 and 10. So I'd do like something spicy or something sweeter. Um, I mean, beers plenty. I mean, like <laughs> to me, like light beers, you could just drink like infinity of them. Eventually you're not drinking them fast enough to get even more drunk, which is like, I, I I'm wearing a Miller light, ugly Christmas sweater to our party tonight that we're going to Miller light just sent me and dro actually dropped it off on the porch. That's how loyal I am to them. Uh, <laughs> but that being said, um, like if I'm having one or two, like I'll do a cocktail an IPA or something, but like if we're, if we're going all day, it's, it's Miller light for me. Uh, I feel bad not saying blue light, blue light had been the sponsor of my last two ugly Christmas sweaters. Uh, this year Miller light stepped up and I didn't even get one from blue light. So, do they uh, supply the beer though for the Miller Lite tonight? No, but um, they they hook it up. Like we do a big summer party and they hook us up. And um, I don't I don't mind supporting their cause because they've they've hooked us up plenty. But when Blue Light would uh, send them, they would have what would they send? Four tall boys. They would send like four tall boys down. It was awesome. Yeah. If you're going to be a show quick, for I, something, be a show for beer. That's a that's a good way to live. Right, Eric. I, I know you got to go, but I just real quick, I got to I got to get your uh, your impressions on the you know because your story, college career, uh, the whole Brian Kelly situation in Notre Dame, walking out on his team, going to LSU. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, money talks, and if Notre Dame wanted to fire him, they wouldn't mind fire him before the bowl game. So. Um, it stinks. It's part of the business. College football truly is the wild, wild west right now. I mean, these NIL deals, there's no hardly policing them at all. I just hope these kids are like withdrawing the taxes so they can pay those at the end of the year and all that. Right. But, um, that being said, I thought his, uh, him getting on the microphone and, and faking a Cajun accent. I mean, that is just classic. And I, I have a buddy that you could, use some deductive reasoning. If you really tried hard enough, he played for Brian Kelly, ended up tearing his hamstring off the bone before he left for the NFL, fell to the second round. And he blames Brian Kelly for that. And I've, I haven't heard a lot of great things. He coached in Cincinnati where I'm originally from. Haven't heard a lot of great things about him. That being said, great track record. But I mean, there's these college coaches are going wherever they want. These TV deals are getting enormous. I mean, ACC Network just got picked up by Comcast, so then every ACC school is getting an extra $7 million a year now. And that's just the ACC. I mean, those are just – it's just getting bigger and bigger, and these coaches are going to get more and more money. And when you realize, especially in college sports, coaches and their staff truly mattered. I mean, USC will be likely, what, top five to start the year last next year with Lincoln Riley – and they would have been maybe ranked without them. 
and you can pay him to come. Unbelievable. Eric, wanted, that was I, when someone said, uh, when Tomlin said, you know, I'm definitely not interested in USC. I got a plenty yeah. good job here. I, I saw someone was like, someone asked Tomlin, what do you do it for 15 mil? <laughs> exactly. Well, holy crap. That was great, Eric. Th- thanks so much for hanging out, going longer. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you have a secret, but I, like I said, every time we see, I feel like you've lost another 10 pounds. So how are you doing it? I will say this, and Derek, you asked about eating. I still can tie one on eating and drinking. So for me, I I I pretty much prescribe to intermittent fasting six to seven days a week. You know, at least take off twelve hours from my last meal. So if we get Taco Bell on the way home tonight, then you know at least twelve hours from then, but generally twelve to eighteen hours, and catch a workout during that time, and then that kind of gives me the freedom to, you know, occasionally crush wings and beers or what, whatever. But, you know, and I don't beat myself up about it too much, but I also, I mean, probably 80 or 90% of the time I'm eating pretty clean. You know, I'm not drinking my cal. you know, people that are sucking down Gatorades and whatever else that have a bunch of calories in them, sodas. That's an easy way to pack them on, which, I mean, I know how to pack them on because I had to try to keep weight on for so long. Now, getting the last 40 off was work, but... Going from 310 to 285, I got that off pretty quick. Remarkable. Great advice. Man, well, have fun at the party, and uh, thanks so much for making time. I mean, you've got a zillion things going on, so really cannot thank you enough for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks, I'll Eric. look forward to it, buddy. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, good hanging. Great questions tonight, too. Thanks. Definitely. Appreciate it.